If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. We're in the midst of a series on the parables, and parables were just these stories that Jesus told that kind of had this one main point that told something of the character of God's people or the characteristics of God's kingdom. And so uh, we'll continue with that series this morning in Luke chapter 6, right at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 46. Um, I had the awesome privilege of working with my dad from the time I was probably 14 to roughly 21 or so. Each summer, he built houses, did remodeling. Uh, it was not easy work. Uh, the last project I worked with him on was a brand new house. And so I can remember standing in this field, nothing there, no trees, no lumber, no shingles, no equipment. And he starts driving these stakes in the ground and stretching out these strings and powdering the ground for the backhoe to come and begin to dig a footer for this, this house. Um, this is, again, probably sometime in July or early August, so the Alabama sun's just beating down on me. And I'm, again, now this is probably early 20s. Um, and so I'm just angry at the heat, angry at the sweat, and we get the footer dug by, with the backhoe, and then my dad sets up this transit, which is like a little telescope that kind of, I mean, they used to use it to like navigate the seas, but this was to tell us like how are we level or not within this footer that we had dug. And I have to get out there with this huge measuring stick and hold it, and he'd say, uh, shovel down half an inch. And nothing is more frustrating to a sweaty, burning hot 20-year-old when there's no lumber, no building materials to be worried about half an inch of dirt. I could not understand why in the world is my dad using all these instruments to make sure that the half inch of dirt right here in this footer, which is where you come and pour concrete and then you lay the blocks as the foundation for the house. I couldn't understand why he wanted me to do that. And I think he finally picked up on, like, I don't think Adam's enjoying this, right? Because he's over there just on the, and I'm the guy with the shovel, you know? And so I'm frustrated. And finally, I just say, why in the world does it matter if I move half an inch of dirt from this footer? Like, we don't even have lumber here. We haven't poured any concrete. Like, what difference does this make? And here's what my dad said. He said, if the foundation is off even a little, everything else we do with this house will be off. It will make the building of this house much more complicated and cause issues from the floor to the roof. But if we get this right, it'll help us get everything else with this house right. And that became a little bit of a life lesson. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate here in Luke 6. That if you get the foundation right, it can help you get the rest of life right. That day I learned that foundations are a big deal when I was out there shoveling dirt with my dad. Foundations, they hold up a structure and they hold together a structure. And really one of the important parts of a foundation is the better the foundation, the more abuse a structure can take. 
And so we pick up with these words of Christ in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And I want to point out something before we read these verses. You've heard the word foundation a lot in the songs that we've sung and the, and the prayers that we've prayed together. That's going to be the focus of my sermon this morning. But it's interesting that we're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount here in Luke 6. And you can go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, also the Sermon on the Mount, much greater detail. Matthew also records this as the last thing Jesus says in the sermon. So I titled this sermon, The Last Words of the Greatest Sermon. I wasn't talking about me, my sermon, okay? I was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' sermon. This is the last thing he says. And that ought to make even frozen Presbyterians kind of sit up and say, man, I, I probably need to pay attention here, right? If this is how Jesus closes his greatest sermon, then we really need to pay attention to what he's saying. Christ has just said all these kind of radical things. He said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You are the light of the world. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And right before he gives this parable, he just told his disciples that not every one of them would enter the kingdom. That some would say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus would say, depart from me. I never knew you. Matthew writes that, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so I think that begs the question, if his teaching is so astonishing, if his teaching is that impactful, why is he talking about foundations at the very end of this sermon? And that's really kind of wanna, what I want to unpack a little bit. One thing I think is that in John 2.25, when Jesus uh, or when John wrote, Jesus knew what was in man. He knows our hearts. He knows that we are prone to be tempted to build our lives on something other than Christ. Even if we've committed with our lips to follow him, even if we're showing up for church, that every day is a battle of whether or not we're going to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ or we're going to build on something else. He knew that about his disciples. Okay, Jesus is not just talking to the 12 apostles here. He's talking to potentially hundreds of people who had made a commitment to follow him, and they are physically following him around at this point. And what Jesus knows about them, he knows about us. That we have a tendency to wander. We have a tendency to want to build on something other than Jesus Christ. So let me read these verses and then we'll kind of dive in. This is Jesus speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. 
But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would make this passage very clear to us. Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand this in a way that doesn't just affect our minds, but also transforms our hearts. Father, we pray you would bless this time as we open up your word. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So two things I want us to see. What does it mean to build our foundation on Christ? And what are the benefits of doing so? So what does it mean to build our foundation on Christ? What are the benefits of doing so? So here's part of what it means to build your foundation on Christ. We see this in verse 47. Christ says, listen, those who hear the word and do them are building on the foundation that I've laid. That's what Christ is telling these folks. Now, remember, these are folks that have just heard some hard sayings, some things that are tough in and of themselves to do. I have to love my enemies. I have to pray for them. That, that's difficult. And so Jesus is saying there's going to be temptation to just say, I want to do the easy thing, and I'm going to skip out on that one, right? I'll, I'll serve the poor, but I'm not praying for my enemies. In other words, there's going to be a temptation to hear the word and not obey. And Jesus asked them, okay, if you're going to do that, if you're going to hear my word and not obey it, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Because obedience to Jesus is a sign that He is Lord of your life, that He is calling the shots in your life. Luke writes in uh, just a few verses earlier, verse 20, and he's speaking to his disciples, again, not just the twelve, but, but everywhere, about this commitment to follow him. These are church people, right? I mean, these are people who have committed to follow Christ. And he's asking them, are you just listening to me preach? And saying, hey, Jesus, good job, great sermon. Or are you doing what I'm telling you to do? Are you following my example? Are you obeying my commands? True disciples of Christ obey the word. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here. They put into practice what Jesus is teaching. Jesus' brother James will say the same thing in his epistle. James 2, verses 14 through 18 say this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In other words, is this saving faith that you have? If you say, I have faith, but there's no evidence, there's no fruit, there's no works that accompany this profession of faith. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. True belief, in other words, this is what James is saying. This can be a confusing passage, but really all James is saying is true belief results in action. 
That's the thing, same thing Jesus is telling his people right here. That if you really believe, if you're really going to follow me, then there should be action that accompanies that confession of faith. Let me give you an illustration. If the eye of your stove is glowing red and you believe that it's hot, you don't put your hand down on that, right? I mean, that leads you to some kind of action. You believe it's hot. I can see the evidence that it's glowing red. I can, I can feel the heat. You don't ignore that. You don't just say that. Oh, I believe that's hot. And then slam your hand down on it. Okay. In other words, you believe it and it leads you to some kind of action, some kind of change in your life. If you've ever done that before, it's a great lesson. It's a quick teacher that if you bump your hand on that hot eye, you don't want to ever do it again. Okay. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here, that that belief that trust that that's, that's hot, I'm not going to touch it, that ought to result in some kind of action. And listen, he's not saying that if you just do a lot of good works, you'll get into the kingdom. Because sometimes we read that Sermon on the Mount, we just say if we just do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, that Jesus has laid out here, he'll love me and I'll be in the kingdom. But what he's saying is that obedience is a fruit a fruit of a changed heart, a true believer that works are evidence that you were already in the kingdom. Just to say that you have faith without any works, that's dead religion. That's what James is saying. That's what Jesus is saying here. And listen, this is not a new concept. I mean, God through the prophet Isaiah said the same thing. You'll remember this verse, they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Same concept here. So this call that Jesus has just made in the Sermon on the Mount is not this call to easy believism. This isn't just some kind of ideas that I, I just adhere to cognitively. It's not a moral code. This parable is Jesus' last encouragement in this sermon to believe in a way that changes your lifestyle. Belief that leads to a changed heart, and then that changed heart engages in obedience. And here's the, here, here's the rub. This isn't easy. Right? It's easy to say, great sermon, Jesus. It's a whole lot harder to walk in His ways, to follow Him, when you know that part of that is going to be suffering and difficulty. It's difficult to do. It, Paul talks about this in Colossians 3, about putting off the old man, putting on the new. In other words, we're trying to put to death our old ways, and we're trying to live in a new way. And Jesus is saying that's difficult. Now, where am I picking that up at? Where am I picking up that Jesus is saying this is difficult? Well, look at verse 48. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. In other words, there was work involved. There was effort involved. But Jesus champions those people, right? Because he says, look, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. That rock is Christ himself. So this man... Hear me out because I don't, I don't want us to 
to get this mixed up. He didn't dig deep to get faith. He dug deep because he had faith. You with me? He worked hard because he had been given faith by Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what? I want to build my life on this. So he digs deep. And he gets this unshakable faith. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it. And, and look, again, it's not like you're never going to have doubts or questions. But it's when those doubts and questions arise, where do you turn? Where do you go? That's unshakable faith. Where even in your doubts and fears and your questions, you still run to Jesus. We cannot build on a deep foundation. You cannot dig deep if, if all of your time with Jesus is just on Sunday morning for a couple hours. Can't do it. Can't survive the flood, as Jesus says here in this parable. It takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It's not easy. You won't be perfect at it. Digging deep might look like getting up early, reading God's Word, studying it, hiding it in your heart by memorizing it, praying. Digging deep might be, or might look like, reading books that just help you understand what the Bible says about God, Christ, your own heart. How do you respond to God? Digging deep might look like enduring suffering, knowing that Christ is working all things for your good. Digging deep might look like speaking the truth in love to those who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Digging deep might look like seeking forgiveness from someone that you've wronged or extending forgiveness to someone who's wronged you. Digging deep might look like spending time on your knees pleading for God and His Holy Spirit to work in and through you. Digging deep might look like you bear the struggles of your heart to a brother or sister in Christ and just say, this is my struggle. I'm having a hard time. Can you pray with me? Can you encourage me? Can you help me? Digging deep might look like when your whole world around you is crumbling, that you cling to and cry out to God and you stand on His promises instead of being tossed to and fro by feelings. Some of you, I know your stories, and you've endured some pretty tough things in life. And for those that, I've, that I know and have heard your stories, nowhere in anybody's story has somebody said, through this hardship, man, my church attendance is really what got me through. Like, I just look back at how many Sundays a year I've been attending, and that just propelled me through this struggle. And I'm not suggesting skipping church, okay? But nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody's ever said, man, when I was struggling, the good works that I did, that really got me through. But every person that I've talked to, who really had an active faith and interaction with Jesus, would say it was all Christ. 
that, that it was Jesus Christ who brought me through the suffering. I had no idea how I was going to get through it. Had no idea how I was going to make it. But Jesus who promised never to leave me or forsake me, that He would be with me to the end of the age, He was there. When I hit rock bottom, I was standing on that kind of foundation that Christ was talking about. One theologian, I love this, he said, he's, he's commenting on this passage, says, the man struck the rock before he laid his foundation upon it. In other words, he had, he had a collision with Jesus in a sense. Something that altered his life, altered his, the, the path that he was traveling. It did something to him, not just in his mind, but his heart. And then his, his actions followed. See, our obedience does not lead us to Jesus. But Jesus does lead us to obedience. It's not going to be perfect. Some days it's not going to be pretty. Some days you're like, man, I'm way off being obedient. But you keep coming back to the rock. You keep going back to Jesus. You keep digging deep to put your feet and your foundation on Christ. And we don't want to get that backwards, like I said earlier. We don't want to think that our obedience is what earns us the love of Christ. Because that's what happened, as I was saying earlier, when Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount. Right before this parable, he talks about Jesus, those people coming to him and saying, not all of you are going to enter the kingdom. Didn't you come to me and say, hey, I did all these works, and I'm going to say, depart, I never knew you. Those people thought obedience was going to lead them to Jesus. They got it backwards. They got the cart before the horse. But it's Jesus who changes our hearts and enables us to go and be obedient to Him. But you have to, I have to, we have to strike the rock of Christ first. You've got to have that relationship. Then true obedience can help build on that foundation. It's kind of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 where he's talking about being transformed from one glory to, to another. And it's this whole idea of, as we behold the glory of God, we see Him as the foundation. As we dig deep, it begins to transform us. We begin to grow, and we change from one degree of glory to another. So it's worthwhile to dig deep, to build on that foundation because there's really no other alternative. And that's the other thing Jesus says in this passage. Verse 49, Christ says that, look, the only alternative is no foundation at all, right? I mean, it's either Christ as the foundation or you have no foundation. And Matthew writes, Jesus is saying, or you build your house on sand. And that's usually how we think about this when we think about this parable, is it's either you build on the, on the rock or you build on the sand. Biblical scholars say that the folks who were around hearing Jesus tell this would have been very familiar with houses built on sand because it's all this mountainous terrain. And so in the winter, the rains would come. It washed sand and rocks and all, all these things down to where typically was a little stream that ran through uh, the city. And... The floods would come, and then when the floods would recede, it would leave all the sand and rock on the edge of the creek bank. 
the stream bank, and it would be flat. It looked like the perfect place to build a house. Nice, flat, almost already pre-prepared for house building. But the problem is, if you build your house there, the next winter when the floods come, and it picks up all those sand and rocks and whatever debris, and it comes, turns that stream into a raging river, it would literally just take your house and wash it away. And these folks who are listening to Jesus tell the story, they knew that. Like in that moment, it looked like a great place to build a house. It's easy to build the house right there. Look, the ground's already prepped. Not like me and my dad, where we got to get out there and drive stakes and put string out and powder the line way on the backhoe, and then I got to get the shovel while he looks through the little telescope. Remember the story? I was earlier. Okay. Hadn't been that long of a sermon. Um, it's hard work. And so you look over there and you're like, man, that's an easy place to build a house. The problem is when, when the floods come, that house can be washed away. It's easy to look at that sand and say, man, let's build a house there. But Christ says when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. That place really turned out to be quite unstable, unpredictable. But it's, but it's an easy choice. Works well in a pinch. And it's good for a little while till the floods come. This is really the story of sin. It looks good. It's the easy choice. There's some joy in it for a time. But the end is ruin. Proverbs 14.12 says this, There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. That looks like a good place to build, build a house right there on that sandy flat place right by the stream. I mean, what a view. And then when the floods come, it literally leads to death. It's ruin. And just think, it's, it's, it's harder to follow Jesus, right? It's harder to obey. It's, it's harder to, to love instead of being angry. It's much more difficult to serve rather than be served. It's harder to actually get up or stay up late or skip lunch to study your Bible, to pray, to meet with Christ than it is to scroll through social media. Christ is not calling us saying this is the easier of the two choices. As a matter of fact, Jesus is saying it's the harder. It's difficult. But our culture is constantly offering us sand to build our houses on. And again, it looks good. Like the sand of relativism. Hey, if it's good for you, great. Just do your thing. Just don't bother me about my thing. And all, all these sandy plots the world throws out in front of us, they, they're so driven by our own selfishness. Satan knows that. The enemy knows that, that we, like Adam and Eve, are prone to just make decisions based on what I want 
what's good for me. And so when the world starts saying, hey, here's the sand of sexuality, just choose your gender. Love who, whoever you want. It's fine. Well, we gobble it up because that sounds good. I, I do want to make my own choices. I do want to be the God of my own life. I do want to sit on the throne of my own heart and call the shots. There's a right that seem, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. And we could fill in the blank, money, keep going, all sorts of things that look good. That let's build our lives on that. That'll bring us security, significance. And yet the Lord says, gotta dig deep. Don't do the easy thing. Choose the hard thing. Look, if I don't think it takes a whole lot of convincing, maybe five minutes of the news, about two articles into whatever news you follow on the internet, to know that that sand leads to ruin. It's all around us. I mean, the suicide rate is higher than it's ever been since the world was made can't number the amount of, of people with anxiety, depression. Well, let me pause right there to say, that might not be because of your sin, okay? I mean, I, I realize that people deal with those kind of things. There's, there's physiology going on as well. But I'm just saying we're living in this broken world that's extremely hard to navigate but it's impossible to navigate if your house, if you're trying to build on sand. If you don't dig deep, if you're not willing to do the work, put the work in to really dig deep and land on the foundation of Jesus. That's not how we were created. We weren't created to live for ourselves. And when we do, it's destructive. And we see that all around us. We were created to know God and to organize our lives around Him. Look, the call to be a disciple, it, it's tough. It's not an easy task. Really following Him is difficult, but digging deep into Christ brings an unshakability to your faith. Again, not that you won't ever doubt, not that you won't ever struggle, but when you do, you'll continue to return to the rock foundation of Jesus. That's what it means to build your foundation on Him, to obey, to work to know Him. But here's the second thing. It is hard. It is difficult. And it is absolutely worth it. But the benefits so outweigh the hardships and the struggles. And look, I'm not even talking about just the benefits eternally, eternal life, no more sickness, no more. Those are great. But it's worth it even now, present day, in this moment. Because with this comes joy and peace. But listen, the greatest benefit to digging deep, to plant yourself on the foundation of Jesus, is that you get God. The very thing you were made for. And what I mean by that is that this whole relationship with the Lord, 
kind of turns from, and we mentioned this earlier, we read it in uh, the Valley of Vision, that we're not so much concerned with the gifts as we are the giver. That your relationship with the Lord deepens and you become more and more satisfied with just knowing Him, being in His presence, communing with Him, standing in awe of Him. Also, as we do that, those sandy flats we were talking about, they become less and less enticing. They don't look quite as good. And that foundation looks so much better. Because as we dig, what we realize is that when we struck the rock of Christ, or when He struck us, and we begin to build our foundation on Him, we set our foundation on someone who will never leave us or forsake us. We set our foundation on one who took away all our sin, and He nailed it to the cross. And He'll never remember that anymore. He'll never hang that back over your head. We set our foundation on one who is a sympathetic high priest, able to commiserate with us in this suffering. He gets us. He knows we're dust. We set our foundation on one who makes us lie down in green pastures, who leads us beside still waters, who restores our soul. We're set on this foundation of one who measures all the earth's water in the hollow of his hand. He's a big God. We're set on a foundation who works all things together for our good. We're set on a foundation who will one day return and take us home where there's no more suffering, no more death, no more sickness. Those are just some of the benefits. That's just scratching the surface of the eternal Jesus iceberg. Christ is the only foundation that's going to stand up to the raging floods of life. And here's the deal. If you haven't experienced those floods, then sometimes it's easy to just say, I don't need Jesus. I'll handle this. I'm strong. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. It's just like those people who saw that sand, built their houses, and then the next winter when the floods came, they're washed away. They're ruined. If you're not enduring hardship and suffering now, it will come. And I know that's not the most optimistic view. But that's what Jesus said. The master is not above his teacher. I mean, the master is not above his student. Teacher not a not above his servant. If he suffered, we'll suffer. It's a struggle, but it's worth it. If you're here today and you've never struck that rock, I would just encourage you to do that, to just seek out Jesus, to ask for forgiveness of your sins, to have Christ take away your guilt and shame, ask Him to put His Spirit in you and begin to follow Jesus, not with just your lips but with your life. 
Maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for a very long time and you've professed Christ, tried to obey, but you've been struggling with building your foundation on the sand, building your life on the sand. Maybe you have whatever struggle it is. I would encourage you just to repent, to take that to Jesus' feet and cast it down there. And then I would also encourage you to talk to a brother or sister in Christ who can help you to turn toward Christ over and over through accountability, through encouragement, by preaching the gospel to you, reminding you of Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus tells this parable at the end of this sermon because he knows the temptation to just walk. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And in John 6, Jesus says some pretty hard things, just like he did in Luke 6. And John writes this, that after this, after these hard sayings, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so, church, I pose to you the same question. Where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? The sand that ends with ruin or the rock who has the words of eternal life, who is the Holy One of God? One choice is really easy. We're already bent toward that choice of choosing the sand, building on something other than Christ. One's hard, takes work, discipline. Well, I was standing there in that big ditch shoveling that dirt for my dad. He said, the right way to do things is usually harder, but it pays off in the end. That was a good dadism that day. I was standing in that ditch shoveling dirt. Usually the right thing to do is the harder thing to do. And my dad said, but it pays off in the end. And church, that is so true with building our foundation on Jesus. It's harder. But not only does it pay off in the end, it pays off right now with a faith that can withstand the floods of this life. So let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness toward us that we see in Christ that Jesus is the embodiment of Your love and Your mercy and Your faithfulness to us. And I just pray that we would be enamored with Jesus. That we would be so in awe of Him that the things that the world has to offer would just look so pale in comparison. God, help us to build our foundation on Christ, the solid rock. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.